Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we bow in worship, thankful for the day of thy grace. Lord, we have this opportunity to gather reverence. Some of us have prayed, and I know myself, mindful, Lord, of uh, shortcomings and an earnest desire, Father, to bring every detail of my life into subjection to the Lordship of Christ. We want to be living sacrifices, Father, not those that hear only, but that do the words of Christ. And we ask, Lord, for the help of the Holy Spirit this morning to hear, to receive, and to do that which is in thy word. Bless us now to that end, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well... I think I have one Old Testament reference this morning, and uh, won't uh, won't read that now. But I'll ready the passage. Be brief, uh, but we'll be primarily in the New Testament. We have been looking at this verse sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, right? We uh, traced the promises of God through the Old Testament that He would give the Holy Spirit to all. No longer for the privileged few, and perhaps privileged is not uh, the best word, but the select, the prophets primarily. And specific devout persons such as Simon and Anna. Anna was a prophetess, but all we're told of Simon is that he was a devout man. Um, And so there was a promise beginning uh, early in the um, life of humanity, arguably in Genesis with Adam and the the promised seed. We looked at that on on, uh, Christmas Day. But more specifically, as the prophets began to speak, that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh. We we then looked at what it was to be sealed and the the, uh, signature of God specifying uh, ownership, imparting likeness, you know, authority, all of those aspects. Um, Authenticity, right? Uh, I was in um, language studies. By uh, one of my boys, we were going over uh, his curriculum, and you know the the writing is that you can imagine what a, a young boy would like to write about. Nothing more for a teenage boy than to write a letter, friendly letters, right? I'm being a bit sarcastic with that. And I thought, well, it's a good life skill. As you get older, you're going to have to write letters, and so we are going over the details and and so on. And 
and uh, typed letters, looking at the format for business letters, and um, yours truly, and then a bunch of space, and then your name. That's all typed and printed, and then you sign. And I said, son, the, the, the writing, you write your name so people can read it. And your signature is to prove that it's you. Anyone can type this up. And sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, the proof that you're a Christian is that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you and imparts on your soul the very impress of Jesus. Sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. God marks, we looked at the mark in Ezekiel, you know, uh, mark the servants of God on their forehead. John takes that up in the Revelation, the same Spirit giving them both the vision. Um, This impress of God, God's signature on you, sealed. Uh, Mine, he's saying, until the day of redemption, Paul will tell us later in Ephesians. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. You're his possession, right? So we looked at the significance, and now we've been looking at the Holy Spirit, his person, his purpose, and our response. And we identified that this God is a spirit. And then, well then what's the Holy Spirit? We, we examined the uh, analogy. Paul wrote that the invisible things of God are seen by creation. The things that he's made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. And so for a, a visual aid in the nature of God, we looked at the sun in the sky. Uh, there, it's located, you know, it's, it's there, right? This large globe, much bigger than the earth, although it appears small because of its distance. And it's three yet one. It's, it's the actual globe, and it's the, the light that emanates from it, and it's the heat that radiates from it. Um, the light of the sun enables us to see, and then tracing that light all the way back till we can see the sun. If the sun did not emit light or if we couldn't see it, it would still be there, but we couldn't see it. The very existence of the sun is seen through the light. And we, we made some comparison to the function and nature and purpose of Jesus Christ. The light of the world. He that has seen me hath seen the Father, Jesus said. And so, taking these illustrations, and they're always limited, the Holy Spirit likened more to the warmth and heat of the sun, that which moves us and inspires. Limited pictures, but uh, there we are. We looked at the, the fact that the Father, the old Latin theologians referred to as the Fons Divinatus, the divine source, the divine fountain. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit which proceedeth from the Father. In John, uh, I think chapter 16, he was talking with the disciples. Um, and so there, if we look at the Father as God and all of God emanating, the, the Son, the Lord Jesus, sent, as it were, to the world. The Holy Spirit uh, sent into the world. And there we are, the Spirit of God. It is a tremendous thing um, to consider that if you are born again, you receive the Spirit of God, you have been incorporated into God. And God is in you. We have been brought into the fellowship of His Son.
This is vital. There are too many. And it is in part, I mean it happened in the Apostles' day. It was temporary. Paul encountered disciples in Ephesus. And he, there was something peculiar about them. Something that the Spirit of God alerted him to. And he asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit? didn't know that was available, so to speak. And they said, we, we haven't even heard that there'd be any Holy Ghost. Not that they had, it's not that they didn't know the Holy Spirit existed. It's all through the Scriptures. They didn't realize that uh, that gift of the Holy Spirit was now given freely to all. And that was ignorance. They'd only heard ministry of John the Baptist and so on. Apollos, similarly, preaching, fervent in his own spirit, preaching... Um, Diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John, Aquila and Priscilla took him and expounded to him the way of the Lord more perfectly. Part of that would have been that the Holy Spirit is now given and um, Apollos became a very fruitful preacher. There is no Christian living without the Holy Spirit. And in our day, because of um, the, the churches of Christ are so weak and anemic, and powerless, um, largely through our ease and prosperity, such that Christians, professing or genuine, go about whining that you know our Christian country is being taken over, and all of these the, the whining as if we're some privileged class, and this is our country, and what are these ungodly doing? We're strangers and pilgrims. We have no continuing city here. We seek one to come. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And what do Christian people have to do go about complaining? What a shame. And so people, you know, uh, you know the, 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 the five spiritual laws or whatever. And the sinner's prayer. You know, you go up and you, you try and convince someone as a sinner. And you tell them, you know, how many lies do you have to tell to be a liar? And you hold up one finger and one. And you, you kind of convince him he's a sinner. Well, you know, so you're not going to heaven. Would you like to be sure you're going to heaven? Yeah, I, I would. So bow and pray this prayer and pray. And now you're saved and you give him his conversion card and off you go. This is very common. It's not so much done like that today. You know, maybe there'll be a message and, and uh, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'd like to receive Christ, raise your hand. And people um, probably sincerely do make some kind of response to God. But here's a problem. Because they don't come with all their hearts, they really don't get anything of God. And you have churches filled with people who haven't been born again. They've made an intellectual change, and that's good. But they have not the spirit of Christ. And so you have this um, Christless Christianity that's propagating the place. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's not his. Paul wrote, sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. That's a thing. It's the stamp of authenticity. It's a gift of God to everyone that believes. And the, the, the uh, flip side of what we've said here is that we don't have to compare ourselves to the Apostle Peter. On the day he received the Holy Spirit, what a day. I mean, I wish everybody's conversion was like that. Glory to God. Cloven tongue of fire appeared on him. He heard a sound like a rushing mighty wind. Power. This his whole association was power, light, fire. Everyone was praising the Lord in tongues. 
declaring the wonderful works of God. And then he was moved um, like Samson. When the lion roared at him, the Spirit of God came on him and he tore the lion. And when those people mocked and blasphemed, the Spirit of God rose up in Peter. He stood up and preached. 3,000 were saved. What a way to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Day one. Hallelujah. Paul, on the other hand, as far as we know, didn't speak with tongues, didn't prophesy, didn't have ecstatic feelings of joy. Just His eyes were open and he could see Christ. <laughs> but he was faithful and look what God did with him. And if your experience was much more like Paul's than Peter's, you can still know all the fullness Paul knew. Hallelujah. It's not about how dramatic your initial experience was, it's that you were really sealed with the Spirit of God. That's the thing. Amen? And then Peter, Peter comforts those. He says, you do well that you take heed unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Some, some come to this um, gradually. They can't necessarily pinpoint a specific moment in time, but they know they're sealed with the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. I don't want to take away from anybody's um, uh, faith or experience, rather to affirm and strengthen. But the thing is that the child of God is sealed by God with His Spirit. Not by man. I don't want to be able to talk anyone into Christ because if I can talk them in, someone else can talk them out. I want God to seal them with His Spirit. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what we're after. And so here we are looking at um, this last, having considered the, the person of the Holy Spirit, uh, the seven spirits of God, right? Um, outlined in, in Isaiah 11. All having to do with the knowledge of God. He that imparts the knowledge of God. Sealed with that Holy Spirit. The, the, the very um, Spirit of God himself. Imparting. Hallelujah. Let's look at his purpose. I did jot down some scriptures here. My scribblings. Um, can never follow a script. Even my to-do list is often a what I wish I had done today list. Um, you look at it at the end of the day. Once the day gets going, <laughs> it's a, let alone um, following a message outline. Well, let's look at some scriptures. Last time, I think when we finished, we talked that the first purpose of the Holy Spirit, apart from this seal, but in terms of what he does, was to satisfy the heart. Remember? Jesus said to the woman at the well... He that drinketh of the water that I shall give shall never thirst. And we deduce, um, apart from all the Old Testament scriptures, but from his words in John chapter 7, when he stood in that great day of the feast, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Remember? That would have been at the water drawing ceremony, um, where that, um, the, the, the rabbis have written that he that has never seen rejoicing at the water drawing ceremony has never seen rejoicing in his life. The Jews had a great time with shouting and song and dance. And at the specific moment where they're pouring out the ceremonial water, uh, I think that psalm, with joy shall they draw water from the wells of salvation. And Jesus stood and cried, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. 
prophesying what he would do by the Spirit shortly thereafter, after his death and resurrection, when the Holy Ghost was shed forth. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. The first work of the Holy Spirit is to satisfy the thirst of the human soul for the presence of God. Is it Psalm 44? As the deer panteth for the water brooks. Is it Psalm 44? So my soul thirsteth after thee, O God. After thee. The longing of the soul for God. And the first thing the Holy Spirit does is quenches and satisfies that thirst. Linked to that is uh, what the Lord spoke in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled, filled with the righteousness of Christ. So that's step one. It's the first thing. You don't, uh, and those of us that were um, zealously religious Know what that's about. Dry, this thirsting, this emptiness, this. Oh, it was work. And it was unsatisfying work. Prayer of most of all. But when the Spirit of God came. Now we experienced something of what the psalmist wrote. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And... uh, He satisfies, literally, the hungry soul. So that's step one. Then um, immediately upon that would be fellowship. Look in John chapter 14. Shall we? Jesus talking to his disciples. Right? So here's a setting. He's going to go away. He's washed their feet. He's told me he's going to go away. They're sad. And now he's telling them, it's better for you that I go away. I'm going to send you another comforter. He's been a comforter to them. The hope of Israel. Remember, uh, remember Simon when he held Jesus in his arms as a baby. He was comforted. Lord, lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. These disciples now, they have seen His salvation in action. They'd seen the leper cleansed. The blind given sight. The lame had shouted. And danced and leaped. The the tongue of the the dumb was loose. Devils were cast out. The dead was raised. They had seen. They had heard his words. They were comforted. And he said I'm going to send you another comforter. It's necessary for you. It's good for you. It's expedient. That I go away. He shall abide with you forever. When the Lord went up into the mountain to pray or sent them across the sea on their own, they were without him. But when the Holy Ghost comes, he'll never be without him. And so he's comforting them and he's he's talking to them. In chapter 14, verse 10. um, So Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. Jesus says in verse 10, Believest thou not that I am in the Father? And the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go 
to my Father. <clears throat> we, could, uh, we could read on. Let's look in again. In verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. At that day, ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. And again, verse 23, in response to a question, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. What you see, brethren, what we see there is union and fellowship. And we see that it's the Holy Spirit that makes all of this. Right? The Father dwelleth in me. The Lord Jesus prayed. He looked up to heaven and prayed, I thank thee, Father. He taught us to pray, our Father which art in heaven. And clearly the Father dwelling in him was by the Holy Spirit. That's clear. All of this fellowship, this union and communion with God is done by the Holy Spirit indwelling. This is vital, brethren. Uh, He is the Christian life. The Holy Spirit. Fellowship. Uh, <clears throat> so in verse 10. The Father dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. I am in the Father. And the Father in me. And the implication then in verse 12. He that believeth on me. He shall do greater works. Means that the Father is going to dwell. In you. And that's by the Holy Spirit. He says, and we quoted it earlier and we read it again. Verse 16. He'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. Right? You know him for he dwelleth with you. Right? The spirit in Jesus. (laughs) The spirit of Jesus. That manifested itself in all that he said and did. And his personality, his his emotions, everything. So you know him and he dwells with you. This is what he's like. If the Lord Jesus would say, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father, he would say the same about the Holy Spirit. He that hath seen me hath seen what the Holy Spirit in a man looks like. He he dwells with you. This one that would say to Peter when Peter fell on his knees and said, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. And put his hand on him and said, Fear not. Thou shalt catch men. One that would be so forgiving, so comforting, so encouraging. This one whom when, when all hopeless news was given, Trouble not the master, thy daughter is dead. And said, Fear not, only believe. This one that you know, that's been with you all this time, he's going to be in you. 
when you get devastating news, you'll hear that inward one say, fear not, only believe. No more outward coming through your ears, but inward in your very spirit, you'll have that communication of Jesus. Abide with you forever. Paul said at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Nevertheless, the Lord stood with me by the Holy Ghost. Abide with you forever. We sang some hymns, you know, the comforter has come. Hallelujah. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Everything, the Godhead is in the Holy Spirit. And by receiving the Holy Spirit, you are baptized into God. Hallelujah. At that day ye shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. This is one of the things the Holy Spirit does. He gives the knowledge of God and the knowledge of your acceptance and union with him. And uh, the promise, he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. I will love him, manifest myself. Unto him, verse 23, we will make our abode with him. Intimate, abiding, comforting fellowship. This is the birthright of every child of God. And it is withheld from everyone that withholds from God. Of course. Look at, uh, this is our Old Testament passage. I don't expect to look at another one. Genesis chapter 15. So Abraham has just taken his household of servants and gone after five armies and chased them down and rescued his nephew Lot. Right? And come back. And now you can imagine, I don't know if you've ever done something, maybe it could be called courageous, but you've done it without thinking about their impact or backlash you may incur. And after it's done, then you might start to think, hmm, wonder how this will all play out now. Um, you know, Pete, Peter, he was prone to that. he jump out of the boat walking on the water. <laughs> then he has second thoughts and he starts to become like a stone. In the garden, you know, on an impulse, grabs his sword, goes at the servant, and then he flees, Right? His impulse is, two shall chase a thousand. Then the Lord says, no, no, we're not having that. Then he realizes, yikes, we're going to be toast. And takes off, right? Second thoughts. I don't know. But Abraham, having uh, experienced this victory, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield. Right? Why do you need to tell him that? Except that it would have been very reasonable for Abram to think, those guys are going to go, regroup, get a bunch more and come and wipe us out. That would be the most logical reaction. He'd gone after a lot. They're not going to take away the innocent. Go get them all back. Yeah, No, you keep your money. I don't need anything and feed the young man. And then when he sat there, maybe the devil was working his mind or just his own humanity. Something was going on in his soul where God had to tell him, fear not. I am thy shield. But the second part of it. I am thy exceeding great reward. No doubt he was thinking about the fact that he had no heir and successor. 
And he, he, he takes up that childlessness issue with God. But I am thy shield. I am thy exceeding great reward. The reward of the Christian is God himself. A non-material being. We talked, remember earlier, uh, weeks ago perhaps by now, um, energy versus matter. Energy is real. Electricity is real. And you find out if you put your hand in the wrong place. But it's non-material, though it interacts with matter. God is quickening, powerful, real, satisfying. Cannot be faked. Satisfies the heart. Brings us into fellowship. And brethren, this is what Paul uh, was writing to these Ephesians. And he mentioned it by way of recounting their history, right? This is uh, the whole um, foray into this uh, epistle, right? He's, he's extolling the glories of Christ in whom we've obtained um, an inheritance and in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Remember, it's going to the gospel. In whom, after ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. He's recounting what happened to them. You trusted in Christ with all the heart. And that is the way in. And if there's been any lack, um, Jesus said, if a father will give fish, egg, or bread, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to his children? If you lack, ask and receive. Not like me. <laughs> oh man, I had to pray lots. You're pounding the chair. Or make a, something so sweet and easy. Such a difficult, drawn out affair. You know? I, you know. Oh dear. And God is so merciful. He'll take you on even if you don't have any faith. Just if you have singleness of heart. I can remember, yeah. When I came to the conviction that this is what was missing in my soul. It's the Holy Spirit of God. And I was going to pray every day until God gave me his spirit. And I, I just invented these bars that you had to jump over. They were nowhere in the word of God. So I had to have my regular devotion. Then I had to pray an hour just for this. Well, where is that in the word of God? And so I did. And it was hard work. And wow, was it hard work. Not after the spirit of God came. I think you do much better than, uh, than Fred's old mentor who just under conviction got on his knees said, Lord, I know I need to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Thank you. And got into bed a completely transformed man. That's the way. <laughs> That's the biblical way. Don't make something that happens in minutes um, spread out over months or hours of fist-pounding, grunting effort. Just come with all the heart in simplicity and trust. That's the way. Fellowship. All right. So he satisfies the longing of the heart. He quenches the thirst. The dry and thirsty land is now a well-watered garden. And he brings us into fellowship. We see it in chapter 17 when he's praying. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe 
that thou hast sent me. Again in verse 23, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. All of this union with God, with one another, God in us, us immersed in God, is done by the giving of the Holy Spirit of God to those that believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? Quenching of thirst, fellowship, immersed into God, union and communion. Ephesians, where we are, chapter 2 and verse 18. Through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Um, And who's the him? Uh, In verse 13, Christ Jesus. And there you have the Godhead. Through Christ Jesus we have access to the Father by the Spirit. This is the Godhead. Right? Uh, God came, shone as it were, sent from heaven, manifested himself in Christ Jesus, took our sins on the cross, rose again, and shed forth his spirit. And having received the Holy Spirit, we have access to God. It's no longer like the child. I don't know if you ever did this. I hope you didn't. I don't think I ever did as a child, but I probably read about in comic books the proverbial child writing a, 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 a letter to Santa Claus, you know. Parents uh, encourage their children in these delusions. I don't recommend it. Don't teach your child something that's not true as if it's true. It will undermine their, thing, their, their faith. Uh, <clears throat> and let's associate them all together. It may, rather. I don't guarantee it, but it may. But that's so many people's prayers. It's like a child, you know, just putting something in the mailbox and hoping there's something there and hoping an answer will come back. The parents, of course, in on the whole scam and sneak into their room, you know, when the child's sleeping. But look, Santa Claus, you got your letter, so on. No more like that. But you have access to the Father. We grow, right? You pray like Jesus. I thank thee, Father, that thou hast heard me. And I knew thou hearest me always. That's the life we're baptized into. That's the way to pray. Uh, we've got to shed that old, carnal, religious, you know, just jotting a list and putting in the mail and come into a place of communion and fellowship. And prayers that are moved of the Holy Ghost. And that gives you a confidence that God is going to do what you've asked. Isn't that right? That's what the Lord has for us. That's the way. And uh, we, don't you? I, I want to grow up into those things in Christ. Not, I certainly don't want to have a, a futile bleating. And, you know, maybe God will answer. You know? And the Lord's so merciful. Have you ever prayed like that? And God's answer, isn't he good? But don't we want to grow up into sonship? I thank thee, Father, thou hast heard me, and I knew thou hearest me always. Hallelujah. Access by the Spirit to the Father. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. We're looking at fellowship here, just brought by the Spirit. 
The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. That's to babes. That's to carnal Christians. Right? That's to milk. (laughs) Remember? He said, I have fed you with milk and not with meat because you couldn't bear it. And you're not able now. You're still babes. You're yet carnal. Doesn't matter. This is not for the elite, the super spiritual, the older ones. This is for all Christians. The communion of the Holy Ghost. Fellowship with Jesus. This is victory, the hymn writer said. It's ours, brethren. Christ sealed this. And the way to respond to this, whether it's a reminder or whether it's a fresh understanding, is Amen. Thank you, Lord. I receive that. You see? Don't, uh, don't let these things be negative to us, but positive. We have all of this. But we have to take hold. Have to uh, come with all the heart. Satisfying the thirst. Fellowship. Um, teaching. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, in John 14, where we were. Right? Remember, we've looked at the person of the Holy Spirit. We're looking at his purpose. He satisfies the heart. He brings us into fellowship and communion with God. He teaches us, chapter 14, verse 6, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, this is helpful. Um, Our minds are part of our humanity and they're susceptible to all sorts of things our humanity if uh, if you've ever had uh, the flu you might have had some peculiar dreams or racing thoughts or anything that's just your body's going one way and it affects your mind anyone know what I'm talking about Um, so our bodies can affect our minds and emotions and so on and memory Uh, those that are clever and think they know lots about these things tell us that we never forget anything. We just can't access it. Supposedly everything that you've ever experienced you remember. Except you don't, right? It's there, you just can't access it. Um, I remember a teacher, well he was, uh, I was a student teacher and then they they farm you out to these um, classroom teachers while you're studying at university and you spend some time in the classroom my first associate teacher. He says, great to have a filing system, but you need a retrieval system. Right? You're keeping the thing because you're going to need it later. You open the drawer, you put it in. Now where is it? You need to be organized enough so that when you want something, you can go back and get it. And many of us, we have very poor retrieval systems for our memories. Filing cabinets, all there. We just can't access it. I've read in the past few years about um, some people. I don't remember how many specifics I looked at. Uh, but they could remember every single day of their lives. And for the one woman who'd had a very happy life, it was great. And for the other woman who'd had a very abused life, it was a continuous torment. Um, And I'm taking at face value. Of course, all these things can be faked, but seemed to be legit. One of them was a a movie actor or a television series actress. I forget the series now. The series I watched occasionally in my youth 
And she could remember, oh yes, on this date, on this episode, I was wearing this and recite her lines, you know, if you give her a date. And you, can, you know, her child would ask her, mom, what day was, you know, uh, what date? Or what day of the week was, you know, May 15th in 19 such and such? And she'd tell her, oh, that was a Tuesday. And just, you know, when was this happening? And just supposedly spontaneous random tests. Of course, that could all be faked. I, I know. And maybe it was, but it seemed to be legitimate, a documentary. I think I was reading and then it would show clips. I don't remember now. See that? Um, but yeah, people that could remember every day of their life. Can you imagine that? Every day. Well, here the Holy Spirit was going to bring to their remembrance whatever Jesus has said. He's going to teach you all things and he's going to bring to your mind everything I've taught you. Now, there was a supernatural gift there so that they could write the Gospels, right? And preach and teach. But this is a thing, is that the Holy Spirit's power and function hasn't changed. And the kinds of things that the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind and to mine are the things that Jesus has said. The Word of God. These are the kinds of things he brings to your memory. Now... What he doesn't say is he's going to bring to your mind, your remembrance, all your failures or all your past sins. And if that's what comes to your mind over and over, you can be assured that that's not the Holy Spirit doing that. I know that sometimes somebody has done something wrong and the Spirit brings that to their remembrance so they can deal with it. But that's what he does. So you can deal with it so you can be right with God. He's not an accuser. Not Satan. He brings it up in such a way that the natural response of your heart is, Oh, yes, Lord, I'm sorry, I'll deal with that right now. His purpose is that you would be right with God. Satan comes along pretending to be the Holy Spirit just to keep you down and accuse and in a muddle. But the Spirit of God's going to bring to your remembrance the words of Christ. And what did Jesus say to people? Even this woman dragged evidently out of her bed of adultery. There is no record that she had. She, she was brought right there. She, had, she wasn't a penitent sinner. She was a caught in the act sinner. And Christ's words to her were, I don't condemn you. That's the words that the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind. Go and sin no more. That's the words the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind. What he won't bring to your mind is you've sinned once too many times and God's done with you. That's not of the Spirit of God. All right? He's a teacher. He's going to take the things of Christ and show them. Now, uh, what he doesn't say is that he will, um, he will tell you all the things that I said that you missed because you were sleeping. Right? <laughs> He'll fill you in on all the things I said while your mind was wandering. Don't say that. And brother, sister, you and I for the Holy Spirit to bring to our remembrance the words of Christ, you and I have to read the words of Christ. And pay attention to them. And think about them. Is that right? 
We have to put them in so that he can access them. He could supernaturally impart them, but he chooses not to so that we don't become lazy. He's a teacher. He shall um, teach you all things. Now, again, what things? All things concerning Christ that are to be known in this life. There's no promise that you and I are going to know mathematics or physics or geology or geography, astronomy or any of the other onomies or ologies, right? Hallelujah. <laughs> but he will teach us theology. He'll teach us about God. Uh, here a little, there a little. As we're able to bear it. He'll guide us. And this is what John writes. John, this wasn't just for the apostles. Turn to John's first letter, please. Chapter 2. John is writing about, in part, in, in John's first epistle, he's showing true Christianity. And he contrasts it with false. And so he mentions false teachers. And in chapter 2 he says in verse 19, They went out from us. They were not of us. They were fakes. Verse 20, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Right? Um, Verse 24, let that therefore abide in you which have heard from the beginning. Verse 27, but the anointing, that's the unction, unction, anointing, the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is true, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. It's the same reference that this is for all Christians. You're not dependent on man. Now, God has so worked it that we need one another. Even Paul, you know, when he was there and he he saw brethren, he took courage and thanked God. And so, um, God may choose to give us teachers and prophets and pastors and evangelists and, and so on, so that there's this interdependence, but it still relies upon the Holy Spirit of God speaking through whomever, and affirming in our hearts and confirming through our study of the scripture that he's speaking to us through that brother, through that sister in their prayer, prophecy, or preaching. So when John says you need not that any man teach you, he wasn't encouraging the brethren to just stay home. He's wanting us to have a dependence on God and to even discern um, As he said, uh, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits. That's the point. So that we don't uh, come under any false uh, teacher or false spirit. He's our inward teacher, the Holy Spirit of God. We could could spend more time on that, but I I trust we've made the point. Holy Spirit satisfies our thirst brings us into fellowship with God, teaches us all things, enables us to live the Christian life. Um, Romans chapter 8. Isn't this right? In chapter 6, Paul addresses our mind. Reckon ye yourself to be dead indeed unto sin. So that's your frame of mind. Dead indeed unto sin. It's a thinking. Chapter 7 is a bit of a flashback. To what life was like trying to live a righteous life in your own flesh. 
Chapter 6 deals with your mind. Dead indeed unto sin. Chapter 8 tells you how the life of Christ is going to be manifest. It's by the Holy Spirit, right? Um, The law, verse 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Right? And he says the law couldn't do anything, but God sending his son condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, our own human self-effort, but after the spirit. They that are after the flesh mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit mind the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Right? In a carnal can't please God, verse 9, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Now that verse there in, in verse 9, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Again, and I, I always mention this, not to try and nullify the power of the Scripture. It's probably because of my own early experiences. And I'm aware of the experiences of others. That's not there to make you doubt. You know, have I received the Spirit? Have I not? Paul's addressing false teachers. People that want you to be saved by being circumcised. Teachers of the law. And and they're not in the spirit of Christ. They're theological, you know, and they've got their thing. And they've spliced uh, Christ and the religious system. In that case, Judaism, but any other works of men. And they had not the spirit of God. They had a lot of book learning, a lot of knowledge, spout, spout, spout. And Paul is saying, any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Doesn't matter how flowery he can speak. That's his point. And it is a warning to anyone that um, the Christian life is lived by the Holy Spirit. Paul would write to the Galatians um, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Galatians chapter 3. Are you now made perfect by the flesh? We'll come to Galatians uh, shortly. Live in the Spirit. Now, let's look at this point there that he talks about. Because this is how do you live in the Spirit, you know? Well, we're going to look at that. To live in the Spirit, we need to be filled with the Spirit, right? Um, We'll look at some of that. But while we're here on this, the mind. A mind. A lot of work to train your mind. We've got some friends in another province. I don't know the latest, but they they got a couple of dogs. And there's so much work to train the dogs, they've abandoned the project. I think they're giving the dogs away. Is that right? Something like that. Well, training your mind can be more work than training a dog. But don't give your mind away. The devil will be too happy to have it. And fill it with all kinds of things. And don't just let it go to waste like an American junk food addict. Right? Just two liter Cokes and Big Macs all week. And you know, you know the stereotype. Somebody that could wear clothes three times the size that they should. Right? Stereotypical. Don't let our minds be like that. Just lazy and slovenly and really out of shape. Uh, The mind on the flesh is going to be carnal. 
The mind set on the spirit. So here's a, here's a help, brethren. Let's think about this. When you were first, when you first trusted in Christ, did you not receive an assurance, whether immediately or eventually, you had an inward knowledge that you knew you belonged to Christ? Anyone relate to that? Okay, I don't you know, someone's looking up, who didn't put their hand? No, no. Some people I know, some people can't be bothered or they just don't do that, and that's fine. But you get the point. And it keeps you awake too. You put your hands up. Now, just think about this. Now, this is a low water mark. You know, the high water mark be like Peter. Everyone, you know, you've got physical manifestations, sound and light. You've got exuberance and praising God supernaturally with tongues and prophecy. And you're anointed preaching and thousands of souls saved. That's mountaintop. But the baseline minimum is the knowledge of God. And that is not just your thoughts or your emotions or tingles up your spine. It's hard to even articulate. You know God. And you're conscious of that when you stop and consider and make yourself aware of that faculty. Let me try and illustrate this even more clearly. Who has anybody ever had a minor pain? Probably everybody. You stub your toe, you've got a splint or whatever. And when you're just sitting there thinking about nothing else, you feel that little throb or pain or irritant. But if you become engrossed in something, you forget about it, right? You with me? And then when you stop all that, you sit down, the pain hasn't gone away, and then you become conscious of that pain again. All right? Okay. Now, the, the only part of the illustration we're taking is the awareness of something that's minor. Now the Holy Spirit is an anointing, which is gentle, quiet, a dove, doesn't make a lot of noise, not big. Elijah, this is a famous picture for us, you know, he went in, there was an earthquake, there was a fire, God was not in the earthquake, not in the fire, there was a still, small voice. That was the presence of God, he wrapped his head in his mantle and he went into the presence of God. The Holy Spirit gives a gentle, quiet confident knowledge of God and you can completely forget about and lose all awareness of by being busy with a whole lot of earthly stuff how many are with me on that but by bringing your mind back to calmness consciousness and awareness you can now be aware again of the knowledge of God everyone with me now brethren we can do that anytime any place in any circumstance can do that in the middle of traffic. can do that in the middle of work with all that's going off. You and I can practice having our minds on God. You see, And that consciousness of God and, aware and um, confidence in the fact of Christ's redemption brings to bear in our experience the life of Christ. Not I, but Christ. This is why you don't well up with frustrations that you used to have and you kind of, I'm supposed to be a Christian, so bury that. Not very Christian, is it? That's just flesh suppressing flesh. You know what I'm talking about? That's not the Christian life. But it's like a shelter in the middle of a storm. <laughs> Sorry, brother. Um, yeah, anyway, it happens. We'll just keep moving. We don't want to distract ourselves with that. It's like a shelter in the middle of a storm. Presence of God. 
walk after the Spirit. And it takes some cooperation on our part. And it's not the trying to grind our stuff, these emotions and these wild thoughts. It's, it's simply returning our attention to Christ and to His Spirit. It's hard to fully articulate, and I'm hoping that the illustration of the, you know, the pain that we forget about, and then when we bring our minds to it, you know, when everything else has stopped, it starts to get our attention again, right? Well, the Holy Spirit doesn't come in shouting. It's anointing. It's a dove. It's gentle. It's up to you and I to be listening, to be attentive. I remember the illustration of a preacher many years ago, and he had been staying at the home of the local pastor while he's visiting and preaching, and and um, the 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 uh, elder lived, you know, the meeting house was here, and you walk across the field, and there's the, his home. And so after meeting the visiting preacher, he'd gotten home first, and the dog was jumping and excited, and then he saw just him, he just lay down, right? I'm not taking him out, you know. And he said, and the dog just sat there with one ear up like this, you see. What's he doing? He's listening for his master's voice. And eventually he could hear, and because there was a group of them, you could hear him chatting, and the dog got excited again, you see. Before he just heard footsteps. Listening, you see. Attentive. This, brethren, was the disposition of Jesus Christ. The words I speak, right? said, the Father, he doeth the works. The Father dwelleth in me. And concerning the Holy Spirit here in John, uh, he says these things. um, He shall not speak of himself, but what he shall... Did I jot that down? Did I... Maybe not. I could quote it, but uh, it's better to find it. Yes, chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. Now, when it says he shall not speak of himself, that word of can have a couple of meanings. It can mean about And it can mean from. And it's that second meaning that's in view here. He shall not speak from himself. Uh, How do we know? Because, well, look at what follows right afterwards. Whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. Just like Jesus. Earlier Jesus said, He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. Now Jesus had to tell us about himself. And the Holy Spirit has to tell us about himself. But he didn't speak from From himself. Remember the Father, the source, the divine fountain. The Holy Spirit speaks what comes from God. That's the point. Jesus spoke what comes from God. Clever preachers like to cook up things and they like to be original and they they seek in their own glory. They want to be known as clever and insightful and they come up with these original ideas. I, I said once, I don't want to believe anything that somebody else hasn't believed before. I'm not special. God's not going to show me something he hasn't shown to his other servants. I would be very worried if I... I don't mean a room full of people because, you know, a whole room can be wrong. I mean historically through the ages. People want to be special and unique and all of that. No, I just want to be holy. I just want to be like Christ. 
as millions have before me. Amen? Yeah. He shall not speak of himself. And you and I don't want to speak of ourselves. We want to get our words from God, soaking in his word and having his Holy Spirit um, translate and impress them and, and, and uh, make them a part of us and then bring them forth. Mm. He shall receive of mine and show it unto you. Again, the Holy Spirit is going to teach us about Christ. I had uh, some time in the past year I communicated to someone. He asked me, you know, what do you think about this? And it was something to do with end times or something, some video. And, you know, this is happening and that's coming and, and so on. I expressed my, skeptic, my skepticism about those things. I said, but these things, uh, I gave my reasons and I finished with this. And these things distract us from Christ. We should be taken up with him and doing his will. We all want to know, well, maybe not all of us, but many of us want to know the intrigue and what's coming and be in the know. I understand that, but I want to know Jesus. I've been drawn away. It's, it's a great weakness of mine to, to knowledge, find out this and find out that, but... Brother and sister, will you agree with me that the only thing worth knowing is Jesus and his word? Give me a man who knows nothing but Christ over a know-it-all any other day, any day of the week. Give me Christ. Tell me about Jesus. Share with me some fresh revelation of him that he's given you. Hallelujah. And this is all the work of the Holy Spirit to, to teach us, to inform us about Christ, to form Christ in us. And he'll teach us things to come. We're not going to look at that uh, so much now. But is that right? Things to come. But it's things to come as pertaining to his kingdom. In the interest of time, we won't... Is it really... What's the time? Oh, I was looking at the second hand for a minute. I was quite perturbed. We have a few minutes left. Isn't it so? So many Christians today are, are watching out for the beast and for the mark of the beast. I get it, but I thought we were looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that right? I think that if I'm focused on trying to figure out what the mark is and so on, I could still be completely misled. But if I'm taken up with Christ, I think he won't allow me to be misled. Hmm? And that's not a slag on anyone. I'm just skeptical of all of the experts out there. Uh, and they've all got their books to sell and their, and their ministries to build. I think, brethren, that we, um, we could do well in our day to consider how the Lord taught the disciples. When you see Jerusalem compassed about with armies, then let him that's on the rooftop not return to take anything out of the house. Flee, right, to the hills. Now, you understand, that was fulfilled, right? That literally happened. They saw Jerusalem surrounded by armies, and they took off. Now, 
it was pretty hard to miss that. It's not like you had to spend your every waking moment looking for the... It's pretty hard to miss an army surrounding Jerusalem. It took some time for it to happen. And then it was in place, surrounded Jerusalem. When you see that, run for it. So, the thing is, the person that would see that, remember the Lord's warning, and do it, are the people that were faithfully engaged in serving Christ. Their hearts were in the right place. They remembered Lot's wife. Nothing here value. The Lord said, when you see this, run for it. And they did. Jerusalem was wiped out. I think Josephus records that at that time, many pious persons fled the city. It's a reference to Christians. Of course, the Christians kept the law. James said it. See how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. So it happened. They were attentive. They weren't there, you know, with their waiting for the latest news from Rome. Is Caesar going to send his army? They weren't just obsessed with this intrigue as to the latest politics in Rome and, you know, watching, I hear hoofprints and writing letters and it's come in and predicting dates. They were just getting on with the gospel, loving the Lord, and, um, <laughs> and in God's good time, the sign was there, visible to all, Spirit of God, reminding them what Christ has said because they're walking with him and they fled. And I would submit, brethren, we know these things are coming We don't need to be taken up with it and almost hoping for it. And it's near, it's near. I'm wanting to know that Jesus is near. Jesus is coming. It's easier for me to know what's wrong about end times predictions than what's right. So many people, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone that I think has it right in all their various predictions. Lots of error. But I'm not much better or or any better. I can't tell you it's going to be this, that, and the other. Perhaps the only advantage I have over so many is I know I'm ignorant. Whereas so many think they know what they don't, clearly. But this I know. The Lord Jesus is faithful. He's merciful. He's powerful. And if I trust in Him, He'll keep me. If I walk with Him, He'll alert me. Isn't that right? Let not your heart be troubled. Let's get on with serving him. And I am waiting and watching, not for the appearance of Antichrist, but for the appearance of Christ. Jesus shall come. Every eye shall see him. The trumpet shall sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first. That's what I'm waiting for. We must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. And I trust him to give us grace for that. However that plans out. Things to come. He will show us things to come in real time, as needed. Make reference to some. Even the prophet Agabus. There's going to be a famine. There's an economic crisis coming. And the church organized to send relief. Not to hoard it and arm themselves. Just saying but to send relief to those who were going to be hardest hit in uh, the churches in Judea, who were particularly dependent on international commerce. So things to come, short term and long term. John was given the book of the Revelation. Showed us things to come. It all pertained to the kingdom. Paul saying, after this I must see Rome. It wasn't about his personal life. It was about the mission of the kingdom of God. 
Even Agabus' prophecy was so that the churches could be ministered to. It's about kingdom work. That's what the uh, foretellings of the Holy Spirit are all about. Kingdom work. And speaking of kingdom work, and we'll, we'll close on, on this topic. Well, and then uh, our response. Kingdom work, right? The preaching of the gospel. In John, uh, are we in chapter 14? Or is it chapter 15? No, chapter 16, there it is. Verse 8, when he, the Holy Spirit, is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Uh, So the Lord is saying that the Holy Spirit is going to be the one to reprove the world. Now he did this through the preaching of the apostles. And this is a thing that we want to be seeking the Lord for in our ordinary lives, in our, our, our witnessing to people, is that we would be speaking by the Spirit of God. Peter preached, and we can trace these elements in his sermon. Uh, if we look in, in Acts chapter 2. All right, uh, verse uh, 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God. All right. And he tells him about the Lord. A man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you. As ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken. And by wicked hands have crucified and slain. He's convinced them of sin. Right. Um, that word reprove. So Paul wrote to Timothy, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And if I understand the words correctly, rebuke is a very simple word. It's just to tell someone they're wrong. That's wrong. Don't do it. Whether you're 2 plus 2 is 5, that's wrong. Or throwing stones at uh, cars, it's wrong. Rebuke. Don't do that. That's wrong. Reproof is to explain why it's wrong. It's to go into the explanation and the argument. It's like in a court of law kind of thing. You, you demonstrate through reason and facts what is wrong and why it's wrong. And then you exhort the person to do the right thing. So he will reprove the world of sin. Is not just calling them a bunch of sinners. But to explain and show what is sinful and why. You've taken by wicked hands. You denied the prince of life and you know, asked for murder to be granted unto you. He magnified and demonstrated the sinfulness of their deeds. Um, he extolled the righteousness. Uh, he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. The apostle says in another passage. Righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. And so the Holy Spirit filled the apostles with understanding and memory of the words and deeds of Christ. They preached the righteousness of Jesus Christ while they 
reprove them for their sins and warn them of judgment to come. And it began with the devil who was condemned on the cross and sinners with him. And so you would see these elements in their preaching. Repent therefore and be converted. Right? Beware lest that come upon you which was spoken of by the prophet uh, Paul would say. Behold ye despisers and wonder and perish. This is the thing. You see these elements in the preaching of the apostles. Where they reproved concerning sin of the people. The righteousness of God and of Christ. And... um, And the judgment to come, they warn them. This is how the Holy Spirit, we've read about revivals, and I appreciate that. We'll pray for that. Um, I think it was the Hebrides, where people were just overcome with a sense of the guilt and sin. And they they would just went in droves to the police station to turn themselves in as criminals. And they didn't have any specific crimes necessary. The police were quite perplexed until they kind of got half a clue and they phoned, or not phoned, that was before the telephone, they got the minister, I think it was Duncan Campbell, preached a revival. That's a very unusual situation with direct communication by the Spirit of God on the souls of masses of people, but usually through the preaching and speaking of God's word by his people, the Holy Spirit in them, reproves concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we want to be enabled by God to do that. Tenderly, kindly, in meekness. Not railing on people and shouting at them, accusing them. But uh, whether, whether alongside and just reasoning together, pointing out how selfish we are as human beings, going our own way. Living our own life for our own pleasures with a body God has given us in a world he has made. And just using him like a a sugar daddy. How awful and selfish and wicked that is. And we can appeal to people on a friendly basis. While underlining how awful the sin of man is. Or we can thunder like um, Stephen did. Filled with the spirit and come to the same end no doubt. Uh, the key is that we're doing it by the Spirit of God. And so, the work of the gospel, in the interest of time, the work of the gospel, brethren, we want to be evangelical. We want to be evangelistic. We want to be, don't we? Don't want to be missionaries? Brethren, we're only going to do it by the Holy Spirit. So we need to be a people of prayer. We need to be seeking God. We need to be learners, if the Holy Spirit's our teacher. Learning how to speak by the Spirit, not just, you know, cooking up something. How to walk off the Spirit. Want to be exercising ourselves. Uh, this is the way. But praying. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Isn't that what Jude said? But ye, beloved, keep yourselves in the love of God. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Isn't that right? Let, uh, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. I think I've reversed the order. What's our response to these things? Be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. Just got to end somewhere and leave something for us to search out on our own. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so when life hits you hard, the worldly response is to turn to drink. Right? Or some other external stimulant to... Pick us up. Is that right? Very common. 
Paul says, don't do that, but be filled with the Spirit. How? Speaking to yourselves, not to each other here, that's Colossians. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. All right, and then he goes on into practical living. It starts with worship. He didn't say plug in a Christian CD and let the vibes pick you up. That's almost like drinking, right? Alcohol. It's an external pick-me-up. It says singing, right? Making melody in your heart to the Lord. Thanksgiving, worship. Lift up the hands that hang down. Now think about how the command of God comes to us, all right? So the worldly man, worldly woman, feeling down, go to wherever you, you keep these things. I almost said the fridge, but do people keep alcohol in the fridge? I think the liquor cabinet, whatever. They pour themselves a drink and whatever, right? So very minimal effort, just kind of. That's worldly, and it's wicked. God's way, lift up the hands that hang down and praise Him. You don't feel like it. He didn't talk to you about how you feel. He said, do it. Right? Singing in your heart. Right? I love you, Lord, with all my heart. I'm feeling better already. Feelings come afterwards. You might not be my voice a bit croaky, but since this cough thing... Singing, making melody in your heart. Not getting pumped on a Christian CD. I'm not condemning listening to all music. There's a time and a place. But I'll say this. That listening to music that can only be made by your own instruments. Gives you an idea of the frequency with which we ought to be listening to music. In much more moderation than the technology would have us, right? People go around, you see them with their iPods, they walk out in the middle of traffic, they've got music on the go all the time. That's not normal, that's not healthy. I mean, you do what you have to do. Some people have noisy neighbors and they're putting on jungle music, so you put on your Christian. I know, I, I'm not talking about that, right? You know, you have to survive, I get that. I'm talking about people that are making themselves dependent in the car, it's just got to go all the time, right? And they, it's, it's like a healthy person walking around with crutches all the time. You'll lose the use of your legs. All right, so sing, make melody, give thanks, right? You praise the Lord, you worship Him. We know from, I think it's Elisha the prophet, who said, bring me a minstrel. And he prayed skillfully and the Spirit of God came on him. We understand from the Old Testament already that by making melody in your heart to the Lord, it puts your soul in a disposition that is most conducive to being influenced by the Spirit of God. It's like a chiropractic adjustment for your soul. And the Spirit of God can function and manifest Himself more readily. And He's within, but it's like getting the knots out so He can flow through. If you and I will praise Him, sing, make melody, and give thanks... And that just makes it now easy to go and submit and so on. It just See, all the rebellious self-will just goes out as you're worshipping him. Hard to be rebellious and giving thanks to God at the same time. Hard to be stubborn, just difficult, ornery brother, wife, husband, child, if you're praising the Lord and giving him thanks. Wouldn't you agree? Just straightens so much out. So first, be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 
says, grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Again, Paul's underlining God's permanency of attitude. Some people think, you know, one wrong move and the Holy Spirit's gone. Listen, we'll get to it later. That's, I'm not teaching carelessness, but God is committed to his children. He who made the marriage bond doesn't break it because of your failure. Grieve not, though. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Right? And what's he get into? A whole lot of bad attitudes, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking. Those things grieve God. Don't do them. Don't be bitter against anyone, let alone anger and wrath. Clamor is a whole lot of noise and evil speaking. Just chat, chat, chat. Those things, but here's how to please God. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Right? So, we want to be praising, thanking God. Someone does you a nasty or doing something that you strongly disapprove of. You're tender-hearted. Oh, you go. first thing is to pray for the person. Lord, this is nothing compared to what I've done against you. And you're so merciful to me. I, that's, that's how I am towards that brother, that sister. See, those things please God. The bitterness, the resentment. Those things grieve the Holy Spirit. So our response, remember, sealed with the Holy Spirit. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We don't want to grieve the Spirit. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, don't quench the Spirit. Right? Spirit gives you something to do or say. What will people think? I'm not going to do it. Isn't that quenching? And then, well, you don't feel so inspired the next time. Well, that's what you did. You just poured a bucket of cold water on the, on the fire. Fear of man's like a bucket of cold water, eh? To allow yourself to not act on what the Spirit gives you to do. It's like pouring a bucket on the campfire, isn't that right? Don't do that. Let's yield ourselves to God. We have been given this precious gift, even God himself. And Paul sums it up this way in Philippians chapter 2. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That gentle teaching of the Holy Spirit. That's God. That's the Almighty. That's the one that made Sinai tremble. That rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. Spoke the world into being and that shall cause it to end. That gentle communication of the Holy Spirit. That's God. Fear Him. That one that tells you, don't harden your heart, forgive. Fear him, that's God. Don't quench him, don't grieve him. Be filled with him. Yield to him in fear of God. Fearing first of all his awesome mighty power until we come to a place where we so love him that we fear to grieve or displease he who is so worthy of our adoration. Hmm? I think those are that's our fitting response to this tremendous 
gift of God being sealed with his Holy Spirit. I, so I want to live. 